It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right. Fucking Drew Bledsoe's giving – is that the podium? This is all? Yeah, and he, he just said he's going to make a Terry Rosé uh, wine that is going to have an excellent finish. Which is just that's just he's been he's been workshopping that for a while because that's oh, just a good line. I wish I wish you didn't tell me that. Oh, organic. Well, you know I was recording that, so we'll just add that. We'll just put that at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> Sounds fact, good. We'll hit the music now. And I'm so I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Oh my mama! Oh my mama made it, ma. Anything's possible. Rainy days. Jump shot, fade away. This the best Celtics podcast day to day. I get excited about it like when Tatum play a Jalen on the breakaway, a Kyrie when he make a trade, and nothing like the terrible analysts on the TV. So in depth that after you play it, you gotta repeat. So in depth they might do an hour about the D League. So in depth you probably should pay him, but it's a freebie. Yeah, Corrales, Packard, and J King locked on trying to get the 18th ring. And well wishes go to Gordon. Listen after every game is very important, Millie. All right, welcome back to the Lockdown Celtics Podcast. Thank you for making us part of your daily routine. We're here for you Monday through Friday, and this is the, what day is this? Uh, Thursday show with the Celtics winning Game 5, 114-112, in a wild, crazy, amazing, sometimes shitty, but just insane game uh, with the 76ers. It's a 114-112 win. Uh, I can't even list off. I, I'm supposed to tell you all of the things we're going to talk about. I can't. I don't even know what we're going to talk about. I don't even about. know what we're going to talk about because it's just such a wild thing that happened, and we've just got to organize our thoughts organically. So you just heard Sam Jam Packard. He is live at the Garden. Well, not live because that – yeah, never mind. He's at the Garden. And uh, so if you hear banging and shit behind him, that's what's happening. I, John Corrales, am here in front of multiple computers recording this podcast for everybody. Uh, where the hell did we start? I, I suppose we start at the end and work our way backwards? The most Marcus Smarf ending to a game that could have possibly happened. He misses a free throw. Classic. He yeah. tries to miss a free throw. It goes in. He plays the best damn free safety I've ever seen in my career as a as a sports watcher and completely ends the game. This was actually like classic Marcus Smart impacts winning. Uh, he made huge plays down the stretch. I just he thought he was fantastic. Six points, or I mean six rebounds, six assists, fourteen boards, um, but just came up huge down the stretch. Had a great pat, uh, find of Jason Tatum underneath the rim. I just thought he was uh, he was everything you kind of expect from Marcus Smart. Uh, and he came up clutch uh, down the end. Oh, the the def- defense on Dario Saric. The game is tied. And how is your decision to try and post up Marcus Smart? Like, that is just – I know Dario Saric had some success doing it a little bit earlier in the game, um, but you don't challenge Marcus Smart in clutch moments, and it doesn't make any sense. No, it, it doesn't. And but, he played it perfectly. Yeah, that's the thing with Marcus Smart. And then, look, let's let's – Big picture this for a second. The Celtics won this series four games to one because they are uh, better constructed. 
They had the right players in the right matchups. And in the playoffs, it is all about matchups. They had the right plan. And Philly is too stupid to win a playoff series of this type in the playoffs. And I phrase that in specifically that way for the edification of our Celtics fans because they like to hear things like that. But I really mean that in a just matter-of-fact way and not a slam of the Sixers. They're too young. They're, they're like – it's like when we're all, like, in our early 20s. We're all too stupid to be successful. Like that, you got to go through the battles. Shit, I'm in my 40s and I'm too stupid to be successful. What the hell am I – you know, it takes a while to get battle-tested and get through the playoffs and learn your lessons. They had that one possession that I tweeted out somewhere in the um, in the second quarter where J.J. Redick was cutting through and banged into Simmons, and then he gave it to Embiid, and Embiid tried to pass it back and threw it out of bounds. Like, that stupid play, that's the type of shit that just does not let you win a series like this. It's going to take Philly a year, maybe two, to really get battle-tested enough to be uh, in, a, in a position to, to win a game like this in a series like this. The Celtics, with Marcus Smart having gone through this many, many years, uh, Brad Stevens having gone through this and learned. Remember, it wasn't that long ago where people were like, ugh, I don't know about Brad Stevens not making great adjustments in the playoffs. Now he's making those adjustments. Uh, even guys like Terry Rozier having gone through that stuff, Jalen Brown having gone through that stuff before, having seen a deep playoff run, that matters. So big picture, the Celtics won this game and this series that many of these games could have gone another way because that experience, that poise, the ability to make the plays when Philly couldn't. It's just, it, to me, it just boils down to that, inexperience versus experience. I think that has a, a large factor to do with it, but they also got this huge uh, Ben Simmons problem. I, he wasn't good tonight, and he wasn't good through the entire series, and he couldn't shoot. And they basically needed T.J. McConnell to come in and bail them out and run sort of semblance of an offense. It's not a surprise that in the second quarter, I think it was the third quarter, Ben Simmons went to the bench, and that's when um, Philly made a huge comeback to really make this a game. I just thought he was, for him to be the star player and for him to have the ball in his hands, he even played, I think, his probably best game of the series tonight, and it's just, it's still not very good. So I don't know how they uh, how they solved that. I think... Probably the development of Markel Fultz will be a huge factor in there, but um, yeah, I think that's a that's a huge uh, huge issue for them moving forward. And so you you put that on top of just general, like you said, inexperience, not necessarily making the the right play. Uh, I think Embiid tried realizing that uh, he needed to be the kind of the amazing. I think he kind of took too much upon himself and kind of forced some shots in the end. So again. That point's inexperience. And then at the end of the day, the 76ers' just roster wasn't that great. I mean, they were really relying on Marco Bellinelli and Arison Eliasovia, two guys from the buyout market. Like, it's kind of amazing that they ended up with the, the seed that they did. They ran off those games at the end of the season to kind of jump up the standings. But ultimately, this Philly team is not as uh, deep as the, the Boston Celtics. And so even though a lot of like, pretty much everyone in before the series picked the 76ers because they thought they had more talent. If you just look at the lineups and who the Celtics were running out there, like the, the 76ers had to put in Justin Anderson into the game and really rely on him. 
Um, ultimately, I think this is going to be a great matchup for these two teams uh, moving forward, like throughout the years. But at this point, I just think Boston was a more talented team. And then just in terms of better execution, uh, tonight might not be the best example because this, this game was insane and sloppy and just at some points just bad. Uh, but Celtics playing at home with just better execution. Uh, Brad Stevens just calling the right plays. Um, having a steady presence like Al Horford, I think, was all huge for the Boston Celtics. Who have not lost a game at home uh, in the playoffs so far uh, and I think are, are in pretty good shape. This has to be the, the closest five-game series I've ever watched, though, because Brad Stevens will probably be the first one to sail you. The Celtics could have lost game two. The Celtics could have lost game three. And they definitely could have lost game five. So you have to kind of tip your cap to the Sixers. Joel Embiid is quite good, even though I've grown to hate him. Um, but uh, ultimately, the, the Celtics were just, I just think, were better in all kind of facets of the game. Yeah, I, look, I don't want to make this all about the Sixers, but I, I do want to give them their props. Uh, they, they do have a lot of decisions to make. Embiid is good. Uh, I think Embiid has a lot more to work on than people may have understood coming into this series. His he has very limited post moves other than bullying a guy and then hoping for a foul. I've seen him. I saw him do a couple of spins, you know, no real. If, if he's going to go and be a post player in today's NBA, then he's got to He's got to do it quick because I spent the entire series talking about yes, post Joel Embiid, and I didn't even care that he was scoring at will in the second quarter because I said in the fourth quarter he's going to start missing, and he missed basically everything in the fourth quarter. In fact, let me pull up his fourth quarter numbers. Uh, Joel Embiid, one of six in the fourth quarter. So uh, that And it really felt like he was forcing it too. And it was very predictable because he gets tired. So not only does he, you know, is he predictable, but he, he's not in great shape. So, but Embiid needs to get the ball, make a decision quickly, and score, which means he has to set up his defender, which means he has to understand how his defender is is positioned and then play off of that and make his move with power, with decisiveness, and with speed, and he needs to do it like super, super quick. If if that's not the case, then he needs to give it up. In today's NBA, that's what he needs to do. What he did all series long was hold the ball, spend six, seven, eight seconds holding the ball, doing his thing. And I will swear, and and I don't know if J.J. Redick will ever admit this, but Joel Embiid's insistence on being a a ball holding, uh, a ball stopping post player didn't let J.J. Redick get into his flow. The, the one game where J.J. Redick was a killer was, what, game two, when the Celtics... I remember Terry Rozier made the mistake of helping off of Redick right away. He hit a three at the beginning of the game. He saw his first shot go in, he got hot, and and that was the tone. Today, I, I firmly believe that Joel Embiid being the back-down player, holding the ball, not letting any of the perimeter stuff develop, caused J.J. Redick to just hunt for shots and not get shots in the flow, and that's why he missed so many. And that's probably why he wasn't in any sort of flow at the end of the game when he could have maybe iced it and, and he missed. So 
that's part of Embiid's process. No pun. You know what? I'm, I'm going to blame this all on Ben Simmons again. <laughs> I think it's like that what too, it makes sure. like. But I think, like, what do you do if you're the 76ers offense uh, other than kind of post up Joel Embiid? If, like, Ben, you you don't have much shooting around Embiid. Uh, Saric was three or three from deep, and he was the second best player for the um, the Sixers. If Reddick's not hitting shots, then you have Simmons and McConnell out there who are not great outside shooters. I just don't know what the offense is. If, if it's Ben Simmons at the top of the key and you don't have, so, like, you have his main defender at the free throw line and the pain is clogged and you don't have spacing whatsoever. I just don't know. I think the, the like as much as MB did pound the ball into the ground and was very deliberate in his post-ups, I just don't know what the, like the 76ers didn't prove to me that they had another like option on offense for like consistent points. So I do think MB needs to be better, like better. I think after the MB sucks chant, after he did that dumb little <laughs> foul, uh, he was he was played with much more power and energy and was just dominant. And it's I don't know if it's conditioning, it's stamina, but like he certainly has the ability to to do that and, and be just kind of scary. A guy who like he really should be able to beat Aaron Baines one on one. Like I know Aaron Baines is the burliest of boys, um, but Embiid is way more athletic than him and should be able to at least finesse by Aaron Baines. Embiid should command a double team in the post every single time. And we saw the Celtics do more doubling of Embiid, especially when Horford was guarding him. Um, and at some points it worked. It created turnovers. And at some point he found the passer and found wide open um, Dario Saric for a three. But that's how, like, Embiid becomes more dynamic. And I realized that we just started, uh, I think, like, the first ten minutes of the podcast just shitting all over the uh, 76ers. Um, so the Kai- Kaizen has destroyed the process and progress, <laughs> incremental progress over process. Um, but let's talk about the goddamn Boston Celtics, who somehow fa- managed a way to pull this out, managed to score 36 points in a quarter, completely give that up, and then pull it out in the end. It was, the, it was a very Celtic series all the way around, uh, with Game 3 being nonsense, uh, Game 2, the end of ga- the se- first half in Game 2 being a bit nonsense. This is like the, the hospital Celtics are basically a nonsense team, and I'm here for it. It's been a, it's been a wild ride. I'm going to try to work in some of these tweets. Cause we, we've got so many. I just can't get to them at the end. The so people are jacked to, up, and so I'm am I. Trying to work a bunch. I want to thank everybody for tweeting and using the hashtag Rain and Jays or the hashtag Rain and Junk. I'm going to try to work them in as we go along and then get to a few later uh, just, just to make it flow a little bit better. So let's start with that Celtics underscore Mike, who just simply says, gush about Al Horford. And so we will do that because it was Al Horford in the in the fourth quarter that stepped up and just had a stretch where he completely took over. Uh, there was first of all he played the entire fourth quarter. Uh, he scored six points in the fourth quarter. He had three rebounds, two assists, two steals. I mean he was just awesome everywhere. Uh, look. He had one of the most vicious dunks I've seen out of him maybe ever. Uh, just a, a wonderful stabilizing force in the fourth where with three minutes to go in the fourth, Jason Tatum missed a jumper, and I said, uh-oh, because that was when the Sixers built a, like a five-point lead, I think it was. But between Al Horford and Marcus Smart, they came back, and, and Horford was just awesome. In the post, uh, taking advantage of, of a mismatch, uh, facing up, uh, 
finding guys. It was just it was just an amazing performance out of Al Horford. Even if he doesn't shoot, even if he doesn't score, the Celtics have to find ways to run their offense through Al Horford because he just makes so many good things happen. He is phenomenal. The, the stretch that impressed me the most was it was tied at 94. Um, the Celtics basically came back, scored four points, tied at 94. And then immediately the, the next three possessions are Hor- Hor- Horford post up, Horford uh, off the glass, and then he strips the ball and um, gets it to Terry Rozier for a transition uh, layup. And that was just like a huge run. I mean, the Celtics, of course, gave that up uh, rather quickly, but um, that's just kind of the – he was – Super dynamic during that stretch. There's one play where he uh, pick and roll with him and Smart, and um, they rushed Smart hard, and he caught the ball, immediately fired it at Jalen Brown in the corner. And it's just like that passing ability and knowing exactly where his teammates are uh, and where they need to be and where he needs to put the ball. uh, I thought it was fantastic. And then not to mention he transitioned from playing defense on Ben Simmons the entire game and Joel Embiid and – I'm pretty sure every single Al Horford post up, he gets fouled and it's just never been called. And so to him to play with like that amount of poise and to be, I guess just the all around best player on the Celtics uh, is damn right. Fantastic. And he is good. uh, Officially. (laughs) Al Horford is officially good. Uh, And then at Mauricio green VR, this is a perfect smart W Man, when he lost that free throw after free throw, turned the ball over. I thought, it, I thought it came. Uh, I think he might have been drunk. I thought it coming some place. Yeah, I, he was definitely drunk when he tweeted this. But this. Oh, I thought he was talking about Smart being drunk. Yeah, no, no. Mauricio Green was probably drunk. And if you weren't, then you, I'm just going to say your irrational exuberance. But whatever. That's just a way for me to transition into Marcus Smart at the end of the game. Not just the free throw. Not just the. Uh, steal at the end of the game which was just beautiful marcus smart in the post was the best option for a significant amount of this game because robert covington has was so terrible in in this entire series but in this game especially he was just disgustingly bad but the sixers had no choice but to play him they had no choice but to throw him out there because of his height and his ability theoretically to defend. This is a guy that people were talking about putting on an all-defense team. He was the worst player on the floor, slightly worse than Marcus Morris, which we'll get to, but still the worst player on the floor, basically whenever he was out there. So, That made him sort of unplayable for long stretches, which meant Marcus Smart got to go post up uh, J.J. Redick. He got to go post up T.J. McConnell. And any time they had that matchup, it was an automatic either basket or trip to the line for Marcus Smart. And and that was was another huge factor for the Celtics down the stretch. Yeah, I thought Smart was great in the post. Post officer Smart is one of my favorite. And it's just the... It's kind of crazy that that's like was the the Celtics uh, it's like what do we do on offense like I don't know it's like throw it in the post to um, Marcus but I thought he made a lot of the correct reads he I think he did a good job of getting this, uh, the Sixers in foul trouble um, heavy whistles tonight uh, I guess in the past two games of the series just a lot of whistles which didn't make for the most fun 
uh, game, but the Sixers got in a lot of foul trouble super early, and a lot of that was just because Marcus Smart being way too physical uh, in the post, and it's not something they could deal with. Uh, again, I just like I think this is something we talked about right in the preview. Is this is not a great matchup for the for the 76ers just because they lack that kind of guard depth, uh, and so getting Marcus Smart back and having him attack their size and him being just overly physical. Uh, was huge for the Celtics, and I thought he was. Uh, he just came up super clutch. The, we didn't even mention he when he had the um, putback. Jason Tatum missed a layup, and he was oh, yeah. right there. He had two like huge offensive rebounds. I just thought he was a, a force for for the entire night, and um, it's kind of wild how dynamic he can he can be because he. You just don't expect your point guard, your backup point guard, to be just such an effective post player, and so I thought he was. He was amazing tonight. Uh, even though he only scored four. Actually, I'm looking at his line. Three of eight from the field. That's classic Marcus Martin. But he went to the free throw line 13 times, That's which is amazing. insane. That's amazing. He, that is not something the Celtics have been known for is getting to their free throw uh, line. And just to see Marcus Smart at the line 13 times, he even did a classic Marcus Smart and missed five of those free throws. But the fact that he was there 13 times is damn impressive. <laughs> it really was. It really was. Uh, I want to shout out Matty McPee25 for tweeting out this awesome picture of Brad Stevens saying nothing but respect for my president. That's just an awesome, awesome photo. Uh, I want to also, Caraway6, since we're on the Marcus Smart thing, uh, where does Marcus Smart's game-winning interception rank among big postseason interceptions in New England? And I put a picture of uh, Malcolm Butler's interception in the Super Bowl. Can we pump the brakes just a tiny bit? Yeah, I think that one is uh, more important. It was somewhere behind that play. Uh, but Marcus Smart was awesome, and uh, I, I don't think that, uh, obviously, it's really interesting moving forward what Marcus Smart's going to mean to the Celtics, but uh, tonight was awesome. Also awesome, Jason Tatum, who 25 points. This is, what, his seventh straight game with 25 points? So uh, 25, four assists. A steal, uh, a few rebounds, nine of eleven. He was dominant in the first quarter. He was. He was. They just had no answer for him, and it's actually interesting. I like he hurt his hand at some point and came back with a wrap, and I don't think he took another shot. Like after that, he was just in in attack mode uh, the entire time. So that's something to watch out for moving forward. Is like what his his hand situation is like. I don't think it was on his shooting hand, but still um, may not be something he's comfortable with. But he's another guy who got to the line because he was attacking so much. Uh, he was at the line uh, 11 times, and I thought he was pretty big defensively. He was uh, uh, had actually no blocks. I thought he, I thought I remember blocks, but I thought he played a, a just a generally solid game, and he was clutch late. Um, he was great, and I think – unsung hero of this game um, is Jalen Brown. Jaylen Brown, yeah. He was going to be the next guy I talked about. He came out hot, really hot, attacking the basket. Like you were about to say, 24 points. He was 10 of 13 from the field. That's a crazy percentage. Yep. And he hit some huge threes. Um, but him being aggressive, he just looked so much more athletic. It looks like the hamstring is like fully healed because he just looked like he had more bounce tonight. And um, there was really, like, he had some big moments. I thought they did some nice jobs starting offense uh, with him to start the second half. 
Uh, I just thought he was huge uh, and probably the Celtics' best player out there uh, just on both ends of the floor. Yeah, for a long stretch, he was the guy, and they, they had no options. And, and starting him, that that was the big adjustment for the Celtics, starting Jalen Brown uh, because uh, Shane Larkin is hurt and who knows when he's going to come back. So the Celtics decided to stagger their ball handlers a little bit and put Smart on the bench. So that meant Jalen Brown in the starting lineup. But what that also meant was he got to play up against either T.J. McConnell or J.J. Redick, and that's just bad, 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 bad. So J.J. Redick started off on him, and they just immediately went into the post. And, and, and Brown just started off on fire because he was backing down smaller defenders, shooting over the top, getting by them with his quickness. Just They, they had nothing that they could – they had no answer. And this goes back to the matchups that – T.J. McConnell is your ace in the hole, then you've got problems because T.J. McConnell is small and it just doesn't allow for the type of defense you need to play against a backcourt or a you know a perimeter that has Terry Rozier, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum because you need you need somebody to guard Rozier and then what are you going to do? You put uh, you still have uh, Ben Simmons. So use his length on Tatum, pick one, Tatum or Brown, but you're still starting J.J. Redick, and whoever J.J. Redick is guarding, you hunt him down because Saric has to guard Horford, and Embiid's got to guard Baines. There's just, what do you do? You're stuck. And if you start Robert Covington, he's just such a, a minus in this series. You're, there's nothing, you, they're, they're, they're stuck. There's nothing. So... They basically played Bellinelli off the floor. Like Bellinelli was oh, a huge guy for, and he just couldn't. He only played 11 minutes tonight. It's probably the least he played in the entire series. The Sixers basically had to roll with their entire um, starting lineup because they just didn't have any answers off the bench. They even tried Justin Anderson. Anderson <laughs> got in the game. Yeah. And um, they just Ilyasova was not like productive. It was just a really bad matchup issue, and the fact that uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are basically. You know, it's like pick your poison. Who who are you gonna have beat you? And both those guys are super young, and the core of the Celtics moving forward. It's just insane that like the, those guys have evolved and become this dynamic and this much of an offensive threat, and still pretty decent defensive basketball players. Uh, while we're like talking about it, just if you told me you're gonna get 50 points from them, um, it's wild. It's insane. Like just there was no real way for their and their matchup nightmare because. Um, you need some sort of size to guard Tatum, and Jalen Brown is super athletic. It's in the fact that they can switch on defense and pretty much guard similar players. Uh, I just don't know how you, what the recipe is for for kind of stopping them moving forward if they're going to play this well and shoot this well. I just want to say how hilarious it is that the Garden turns into a firing range whenever you do a podcast because it was quiet, and then you start talking. And then I swear behind you, somebody's like firing off a nine millimeter. I think they're just like slapping rugs together. Like I don't know what's going on, it's but I'm like looking funny. around. It's, it's funny. Like it's it's become almost like a signature for you in the playoffs. Like oh, I'm gonna talk when the loudest things are happening. Now when when you're not talking, it tends to get quiet. But when you are talking, it's like they decide. Oh, okay, Jam's talking. Let's you know demolish half of this building. 
It's, well, everyone wants to be on the Rain and Jays, so they're just doing their part to to get on the Rain and Jays. I mean, it's it's a podcast for winners. I mean, and we've done six podcasts from this building after uh, Celtics wins. One while I was in Las Vegas. That's a that's a wild card. We'll throw that out. But uh, <laughs> and every single time it's been noisy as hell. So I think that's like it's a key to success for us. Sure, it works. Whatever. It, let's go with it. NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Tennessee Titans have announced a one-year deal with linebacker Jadavion Clowney, reportedly worth $15 million. Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans tells you if it's going to be enough to get Tennessee back to the AFC title game. In other moves around the league, the Miami Dolphins named Ryan Fitzpatrick starting quarterback, which means Tua will be back up for the time being. And the Detroit Lions have agreed to a one-year deal with running back Adrian Peterson. Peterson was released by the Washington football team last Friday. For more NFL news and analysis, subscribe to the new Peacock and Williamson NFL show and listen to a brand new lineup on Locked On NFL. They'll have division previews every day this week. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're up to date on your favorite team, but what about the competition? Hollinger and Nate Duncan are evaluating every bubble contender on Hollinger and Duncan. Rejecting the screen goes behind the scenes with in-depth interviews and the Locked On NBA podcast is recapping games daily. Let the Locked On NBA network of podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan rejecting the screen, the Locked On NBA podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet wherever you get your podcasts. All right. uh, Last thing from this game, because it's over. The series is over. But Marcus Morris was atrocious. Was just so bad. Just so bad. Like, so, so bad. He did really almost nothing right. Uh Made all his free throws. Made all his free throws. Okay, so that that falls under the almost nothing. So he was four of four from the line. He hit one one basket, one of ten. Uh, uh, okay. Is this just the product of the matchup, or do you think that for some reason he's just kind of run out of whatever magic he had going on at the end of the season? Against the Cavaliers, let's start moving forward. Do you think he can find against the Cavaliers and their crappy bench some semblance of a renewed spark for the Celtics? Of course he can. He's ISO Mook. Like, I really think that he is a guy who's going to keep shooting and going to keep shooting with confidence. And as soon as he sees a couple go through the net, I think he, he's right back there. And they're going to need uh, Marcus Morris just because he is a very competent, as competent of a LeBron, I don't want to even say the word stopper, but a LeBron hopeful container uh, that the Southerners are definitely going to need moving forward. And so I think, like, you're going to get a one-for-10 moot game, and you just you have to expect him to keep shooting. And you're right, he has not been – He's not been as good as and as hot as he was uh, down the stretch of the season. He hasn't had a great uh, 
game in the playoffs. He's had decent in some games, but shoot or shoot. Like these, the only way I know how to get out of that is either to take him off the floor, which I just don't think is an option. Uh, the Celtics are so kind of in need of bodies right now. Like he's going to need to play at least 25 minutes that he, you're going to have to get, have him keep shooting. Like, I just don't know what, like that's a mook. Keep yeah. shooting. And I just like, I think, would you like, would you be shocked if he like scored 25 in a game against the Cavs? Not I wouldn't. Not at all. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked either way. Like, but tonight was just so bad. Like, I'm sitting here talking about Covington, and Marcus Morris was just about as bad. Uh, he, he did some good things on defense, a couple. Uh, so he wasn't useless. But look, the Celtics are, they're, they're stuck. They're stuck. They don't have a lot of guys to play. Tonight, they played, uh, what, literally eight guys. So they didn't have, like, they couldn't put Monroe in. Obviously, like, Yabu, Nader, like, that's it. They don't have... They don't have the guys. They played Morris, Smart, and Ojale off the bench. And Rozier played 40 minutes. Somehow they managed to keep Brown to 31 minutes and Baines to 24 minutes. But Tatum played 39-plus. Horford played 38-plus. It's a lot of minutes. Uh, luckily, luckily for the Celtics, the, the schedule now moving forward is actually pretty good. So game one is Sunday at 3.30 in Boston. So 3.30 on ABC. So the Celtics are now off on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They don't have to travel. This is why this win was so, so important. They didn't have to get on a plane and get to Philly, even though it's a short flight. Just getting up in that pressurized tube just messes with you. You you, you get to sleep in your bed tonight. It's just really, really nice. So they play on Sunday at 3.30, then Tuesday at 8.30, and then not again till Saturday at 8.30. So they've got Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So they've got three games in the span of uh, a week, or actually a week and a half because of the, the days off leading up to it. So just a really nice schedule for them to kind of get themselves together, rest, Al Horford is probably banged up. Everybody's probably banged up. And they, they get this opportunity to kind of get themselves right for this series. So, so let's focus now on the Cavaliers for a few minutes. Uh, because we, we've got a lot to talk about before we get to that game anyway. So, Did Justin you- Rowan, you are a coward. <laughs> <laughs> Let's let's just start with who guards LeBron. Do they? It, it's going to be Jalen Brown to start, right? It's going to be a committee, but I, I assume Jalen starts on LeBron. Um, but I think they're going to want to throw some size at him. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Morris, we see some Ojale, see some Marcus Smart. Even, I mean, I don't know. There's no answer to beating LeBron, but trying to make him shoot from the outside it seems to be the best solution. Um, but I think it's going to be by, by committee. I don't know. Like, has anyone come up with an answer for LeBron? No. I think you might see some, some Tatum out there, but Tatum still feels not strong enough. Uh, I do think Brown will have like, he had some moments against LeBron last year. Um, so I think Jalen Brown's your, your first answer. And hopefully this time off, will get him, um, that hamstring fully rest and fully healthy. But I don't, it's, it's got to be a committee. It's got to be just throwing fresh bodies at LeBron for the entire time. 
and really trying to force Kevin Love to and like J.R. Smith to beat you. Here's here's the bigger question. I should have started with this. Do the Cavaliers work out an adjustment where they start Tristan Thompson? Because Tristan Thompson has historically been the matchup problem for Al Horford. Can't keep him off the glass. Thompson has consistently been a problem for Horford uh, in these series. Last year against the Cavaliers, he kind of destroyed Horford down low on off the glass uh, on the glass, uh, and, and so. I would expect the Cavaliers to switch up their starting lineup. Uh, I don't know that they take Kevin Love out, but maybe they go Hill, Corver, Love, LeBron, and Thompson. Go big. Or maybe Here's the th- I think if they put in Thompson, though, that's when you bring in Aaron Baines. And the Celtics' defense has been much better the entire year with Baines on the court. And so you throw Baines as just a guy to clog up the middle as a, a rim protector, as a burly boy that he is. I don't know if that's like the uh, the immediate solution for the Cavs. It's going to be very interesting, of course, because you would think that the Celtics would try and counter um, either with Baines, and if that's not working, then you try it with Horford and try to play five out and kind of um, spread the floor that way. I don't know. I think it's going to be the the Cleveland front court is going to be the most uh, interesting part of the series because even if even Kevin Love at the five, even if the the Cavs go small. Kevin Love is a damn good offensive rebounder, and he's been pretty good against Horford uh, in his career as a Cavalier. And I think, oh my God, do I hate Kevin Love? Uh, but <laughs> he, his ability and how he plays, I really think will dictate how this series goes. Because um, I don't know if Tristan Thompson one, he's just not playing as well as he had in past seasons, and I don't know if going big it will necessarily be the solution for the Cavs. Just because, like I mentioned, I think Baines is. Uh, kind of a, just means better defense for the Celtics. And that's going to be the game of the series. It, like the, it's going to be the Celtics, whether or not they can slow down like the Cavs' offense at all. The Cavs have a crazy offense. They're Especially when LeBron's playing like 45 minutes a game. And so is can the league's best defense slow down one of the league's best offenses? Uh, enough so, so that the Celtics' offense can have a chance to kind of to be in this game against one of them. The, the worst defenses in the league. And so I don't know if um, Thompson is their best answer uh, for the Cavs offense. I think going small is the best for them. And I think the Celtics may be well-matched to do that. Um, but it brings up – that means you're going to have to have a lot of Marcus Morris minutes, and he can't – he needs to be making shots if he's going to be playing that many minutes. Yep, he's going to be – I don't know if, if I want to say it this way, but he, he could be the most important player in this series that – just because of how much the Celtics need out of him, it's going to be really interesting. That, like you said, that defense that Cleveland has is pretty terrible. And I, I'm inclined to think that it's it's the classic pick your poison against LeBron. And I I don't want him being a passer. It's, it's very simple to me. LeBron has to be a pure scorer if you're going to beat the Cavaliers, which I know sounds nuts. I know he could probably average 50 in this series. I I feel like I've been consistent in my feelings for guarding a star player, especially when he's got very little help around him. Now he's got Kevin Love, and Korver can still go off and hit shots, but Korver can only go off if he's being fed the ball. George Hill can only go off if he's being fed the ball. 
Same for all of these other guys. Jeff Green, Clarkson, Nance, whoever gets thrown out there. All of those guys can only get going if you overreact to LeBron and he becomes a triple-double threat. If he scores 50 and has two assists, I am thrilled about that defensive effort against LeBron James. Just shut everyone else down. Try your best like you did against Simmons. Obviously, there's some similarity in their style of play in that they're both big and they can, you know, drive and dish. But one is a coward and one is the best basketball player to ever live. Right. So it's like... I like it's it's that's that's dangerous game. That's like that's blood sport. I it's just letting it's that, that's but that's what right. happens when you play the Cleveland Cavaliers. Like that's when you happens when you play the best players. Like you're gonna have to make a decision, a difficult decision, and it's gonna be a a whole lot of fun. Just the history of LeBron and Boston, fantastic. Let me ask you this question: Can the Celtics score in this series against the Cavaliers against their defense? Do you think the Celtics can average more than 100 points a game? Oh, yeah. Okay. Do you think the Celtics can hold non-LeBron players to less than 60 points a game? So everybody not named LeBron James, can you combine to hold J.R. Smith, Kevin Love, Kyle Korver, George Hill, Tristan Thompson, Jordan Clarkson, Jeff Green, can you get those guys to average less than 60 points a game? Uh, perhaps I like when you frame it like that. Yeah, but that means you're just basically single covering LeBron for the entire game. You're basically treating him like like Ben Simmons. I just I think uh, can LeBron average forty points in a series? Yes, I think he can. Especially if you're like playing all all his shooters and you're like running them off the three point line like they they did the Seventy Sixers and not like helping LeBron. I think he can it could go off psychologically. It's just difficult to kind of just let LeBron dominate for the entire game. But maybe Brad Stevens is the uh, just the mental wizard and mental alpha that we need to just kind of ignore the noise and just let LeBron go for forty or fifty. But that's just that's a that's a wild proposition, and you're talking loco, and I like it. Yeah. Well, look here. Here's the thing that I, I just think that as great as he is. Who averages 40 points a game in a series? That I think LeBron, it, against Toronto, is, is he did things against Toronto. I really do feel like, like Toronto got shook about uh, 44 minutes. I mean, not sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, about 44 minutes into game one. That last four minutes of game one, that was it. That's when the series ended, and they just couldn't do anything about LeBron. I feel like LeBron has played so much, and if he plays the minutes that he needs to play to score as much as he needs to score, he's going to get tired, he's going to miss shots, and he's going to start settling for jumpers at the end of these games. That You have to rope-a-dope the Cavaliers if you're the Celtics, and you have to rope-a-dope LeBron James, and you just have to sit there and take flurry after flurry after flurry for quarters one, two, and three. So in the fourth quarter, he is sitting there trying to bury you with three-pointers and not passing the ball and not driving and dishing. That, to me, is how the Celtics have to get by LeBron James. Just because 
J.R. Smith is not trustworthy. Kevin Love is not trustworthy, especially if his hand is still bothering him. Kyle Korver is a shell of himself, except when he's being fed for wide-open shots. He can still shoot the shit out of the ball, but that's about it. George Hill, not great. All of these other guys are not great. If the Celtics can hold those other guys to less than 60 points combined and let LeBron do what he's going to do, sometimes that's not going to work, but it's a seven-game series. All you need to do is have it work four times out of seven. That's it. If the Celtics can get 100 points a game against this shit defense that the Cavaliers are throwing out there, then they can, I think, win this series, which is insane. I know it's insane, but there's a way that they can win this series. They're not going up against a Cavs juggernaut. They're going against LeBron and his band of merry men that play terrible defense, that are unreliable, that went to seven games and damn near lost against the the Indiana Pacers. And I think the Celtics have a version of, that is similar. They can do a lot of the similar things than what the as the Pacers did. It's not it's not crazy to think that the Celtics can win this series. And shit, the Celtics could go to the goddamn NBA Finals without Kyrie Irving, without Gordon Hayward. You're right. I do think I think the Celtics have a much better chance in this series than they did last year. They just have um, higher end talent, and I think the Cavs defense is so much worse. Uh, than it was last year. Oh, also the Cavs don't have Kyrie Irving. He's the guy chilling with Yabu on our bench just doing uh, God knows what. Um, so I do think the Celtics have a chance. It's just Bron's mighty good. And so it's tempting It's tempting fate to, to kind of let him to let him but, shoot. But you're right. I, I Like your logic is sound in that I think like, yeah, the, you, you have to force the other guys not named LeBron – uh, to kind of, I guess, step up or not. Yeah, was, I don't know. I've talked myself into a frenzy just because I, I'm confused now. Uh, I'm excited. And now I, I've lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. I, I just Look, it, it's, it's hard to do. It's hard to play this because if you see a guy getting abused, it's hard to not help him. There's a tendency to help off of guys when they're getting crushed. You have to sit there and say, if it's Jalen, if it's Mook, if it's Shemi Ojale, who's going to get opportunities to guard LeBron James, if it's Yabu because of foul trouble, it doesn't matter. You sit there and you give him a salute and you say, give him hell, young man, and you let him go take his lumps as long as the other guys on the Cavaliers don't get going. Because I'll tell you what, if that's the case, then J.R. Smith, whenever he gets the ball, is going to force some really dumb shots up. Kyle Korver is going to force some really dumb shots up. These other guys are going to force some really dumb shots up because they're going to want to shoot too because they want to play. It's like, hey, I want the ball too. Can I play basketball too? And that's that's where it all starts to fall apart for Cleveland. LeBron can't do it all. He can't shoot every time. Teams take 80, 90, 100 shots a game. LeBron James is not going to take all of those shots other guys are going to shoot and make those other shots as uncomfortable as possible. LeBron's not going to shoot 70, 80 percent. It's not it's not possible. He's going to shoot, even if he shoots 50 percent, fine. 60 percent, fine. Let him shoot that. Let the other guys shoot like shit and, and force their stuff. I'm telling you, it's, it sucks. 
but it's the total rope-a-dope that this Celtics team, with the injuries that they have, it's that's their chance to win this series. It's there. It's right there for them. It sucks. It, what, what really sucks is that the Celtics had this path laid out for a trip to the finals, and it was right there to take advantage of it with Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving and, and to maybe have people talk about Hey, maybe the Celtics have a shot this year. They don't have a shot at winning the finals, but if they get there, I'll make a case for it. That's for goddamn sure. Well, they they are uh, what two and two and uh, one and Oracle in the last uh, three times they played there. They played the uh, the Warriors better than anyone else. Um, you gotta you you can't have a fixed mindset. You gotta have that growth mindset. Um, but it's gonna be damn fun uh, once this Eastern Conference Final starts on Sunday. All right, let's let's wrap this up. We, we've been talking, and I. I'm starting to feel like I'm getting a little loud and obnoxious and kind of like ranty. So let's let's wrap this up with a few tweets, one way or the other, and then your junk drawer. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, a lot of Marcus Smart tweets. Holy shit, I'm looking down. <laughs> Marcus Smart tweets on the Rain Jays. Uh, let's just see. Uh, uh, at R Emery 89 tonight was prototypical Baines. We need to keep him just for the Embiid matchup going forward. Uh, it's going to be interesting how what the Celtics do. I don't think Baines comes back next year, but who knows? Maybe maybe things change. But yeah, the uh, the Embiid matchup going forward is going to be super super interesting. But for this series alone, uh, I think that the fact that Baines played Embiid as well as he did is is where you you can say. That's probably where this series turned because that was supposed to be an easy win for the Sixers. And Bede versus Baines is an easy, oh, yeah, that's an advantage Sixers. But it wasn't for, for most of the series. No, Baines was fantastic. The fact that he was able to single cover Embiid was uh, kind of insane. Um, now, some people will say that he fouled Embiid on the final play. I didn't see it. Of course, it was from the opposite basket from where I was uh, sitting. I had no angle on the play, but... Uh, I didn't see the foul whatsoever. And I thought Baines was just – the fact that he's sh- shooting corner threes is crazy. And that's exactly what he needed to do. And he's – he really stepped up his game. And he – like I was thinking about it, he is such an upgrade over uh, Amir Johnson. Like I, I like – I love the big dog. But just in terms of his size and his physical presence, and he's a huge reason why the Celtics uh, defense was the best defense in the league this year. So he deserves all the credit in the world. I wouldn't be surprised if they they brought him back if it's like at something at the the veteran minimum or something smaller than that. Maybe he's going to want command more money for a, like uh, just because he played so well this year. But I think he's he's damn important, and I wouldn't be surprised if he just like I think someone tweeted this. He's just going to come back and play for the Celtics on one year contracts for the next eight years. <laughs> Maybe May, look, it's possible. I don't know that the market for him is is huge, but he's shown his value. And look, he's shooting. 50% from three in the playoffs. Like, that shows a little bit of value that somebody can sign him and be like, not that you expect him to hit a ton of threes in the season, but he can hit them. He can hit them, and he, he's, he's kind of found a little bit of a groove. He's evolving his game, which I think is just a it, – it's huge when you are uh, a big, burly center – and you can evolve your game. So good for him. He's gonna get. He's gonna get some money somewhere. He's gonna get paid to play basketball in the NBA, and maybe it'll be with the Celtics. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, let, you know what? That's the the Rain and Jays hashtag is a bunch of Marcus Smart. Thanks everybody for sending those those tweets in. Let's go to the Rain and Jump. We've been going for almost an hour now, and we, we probably should wrap this up soon. So let's just get to the Rain and Junk at Mike underscore Heineck in a series where we proved we are better than Philly in many ways. I think the one way that matters most is our Aussie has a much better accent. Yeah, Ben Simmons is Australian, but he doesn't sound Australian. No, and I'm going to resist the the, oh, the chance man, to do. I was waiting. I was sitting there like, ah, oh, you're going to do the Australian. Right, right, right. No, right, I'm right. not. It doesn't sound Australian. Iron Baines is a big burly boy. <laughs> oh, we're so oh God, that's we're terrible. terrible. We're terrible at that. Uh, I'm not good. No. At the sus bus, pretty sure I heard Jam Packard in the background at Baines, cool as a cucumber comment. I don't know what the cool – did he do that? I think he said it in his post game. Uh, you didn't hear me giggle because I'm up here. You can hear me. From, but Aaron Bain saying cool as a cucumber is something I would giggle at. So um, I think that's a fair accusation. It just doesn't have to be true. Uh, uh, at Chris Volkernick tweets the photo of the guy in the sign. Process of elimination. Hilarious sign. Awesome sign. Uh, so good that I'm mad I didn't think about it. Uh, from at Sir Benj Zero, did Embiid go straight to the locker room after the game? I believe he did. He did. He was mad online um, because the whole crowd was chanting that he sucked, and then he sucked, and so uh, he was upset. I don't really blame him for that. There's no handshake line in basketball. Now, like now, people can go to the locker room. I'm that's that's a, a non-story in my idea. It's, my eyes. it's a non-story necessarily, but it does it does show a little bit of insight. Like there's he's I, I think he's a lot more sensitive than he lets on, and he talks a lot. And if you're gonna be a guy that talks a lot of shit, then you have to be willing to sit there and take it when it comes your way. So that is all i got to say about Embiid. You have a choice to make. If you're going to sit there and, like, it's fun. It's a lot of fun, especially when it's not in a playoff series, so you're not, it's not in your face. But when it's, you know, from a distance, it's fun. Or if you're a Sixers fan, it's fun. But if you're going to sit there and talk shit and say things like, point to your head and say, I'm in your head, then when it doesn't go your way, you have to sit there and take it as good as you give it. Or else you look like an idiot. And I don't want to have another player in the league be that way. Because Dwight Howard already has that market cornered, and I don't want another Dwight Howard in the league. I want Embiid to be good. I want the Celtics to beat Embiid on a regular basis, but I want him to be good while that's happening. You want him to handle it well while he takes his repeated exactly. beating. I want him to <laughs> – and look, this is this is the, the, the beauty of a rivalry. If you're going to have a rivalry, and maybe sometimes the Celtics lose, that's going to happen. But I want him to – I want this to be a battle. If you're going to be in battle and you're going to fight and you're going to go down there in the post – and this is another thing that bothers me about Embiid. Because I was a post player. I get the mentality. You're going to go down there. You're going to get banged around. You are initiating contact. You are drawing contact. You are giving contact. Sometimes you're going to get hit and it's not going to get called. And so what? Maybe you don't like it, but you can't 
bitch and moan about it after the game. You can't let it affect you. And after the game, when somebody beats you, after you guys are going head-to-head, like if I was playing Aaron Baines and we were going at each other and I got the worst of it and I lost, afterwards, you know what I do? I do personally go seek him out and I shake his hand and say, you know what? Good game. You gave me everything you had. I gave you everything I had, and you were better than me. Now, that just means i got to go figure out how to be better than you the next time we meet. To me, that's what hard-nosed post-basketball is all about. And until Embiid learns that lesson, he's never going to reach his full potential. Fair. Boom. Done. Next. Uh, let's see. Uh, Addy Shep, does Harry... Does Hayward still get a ring, too, even if he only played five minutes this season? Yes. Yes. Yes, he does. But that is getting way ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Do you have a junk drawer? Oh, I got a, a lengthy one. Right. Um, after game four, uh, Franklin the dog, BF dog from the 76ers, was tweeting at me about his stupid ladder thing, and I just want to rub it in Franklin's face. Uh, you got a stupid trick, and uh, everyone hates it. Um, so screw off, Franklin. Uh, I, I love your beef with the anthropomorphic costume dog. <laughs> yeah, he's a terrible ladder trick. Uh, Brad Stevens before the game um, talking about not getting a coach of the year vote, which one is absurd, but just him like ref- the saying that there, if he had a vote, he would vote for every other coach in the league. It's just classic Brad. One day he will admit that he is good, okay. but that was not – that was not today. Can we just throw this out there? And this is a question from at Trevor underscore E36. Why is everyone making a big deal out of this coach of the year outcome? Isn't the official one. It isn't the official one, right? Media members vote on that one. It's true. Can we just, I want to clear that up that this was the coaches association award and all 30 coaches voted and you get one vote. You didn't get to vote for a second place. You didn't get to vote for a third place. And it's still like a little like, absurd that he didn't get one vote but if everybody's saying i'm picking between dwayne casey and, and brad steve like ah you know i think dwayne casey deserves it because of this like that 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 makes much more sense so that that whole coach of the year thing was a little bit uh blown out of proportion but it did give us classic brad stevens who just was incredulous at the thought pregame that anybody would even think to vote for him because he puts himself 30th out of 30, uh, of course. We should make a parody of the most interesting man in the world with the most humble man in the world. And this is Brad Stevens <laughs> deflecting compliments. Um, that being said about coaching, Brett Brown saying the word Horford will always make me laugh. Brett Brown is a gem. Um, I'm a big fan of him. Uh, this game, was, frankly, was uh, in the books before the game because last night the 76ers hired some sort of mentalist or magician to entertain the team, and that's just a soft move. I was not a fan of it. Um, moving ahead, confetti. Uh, Terry Rozier updated his Scary Terry shirt to include confetti. I thought that was a cool-ass move. Beautiful. Oh, that was awesome. There's a guy who did a shooting contest. Um, he brought his own confetti. He taped it onto his shirt. Uh, so th- I thought that was a cool move. And to the lovely listeners who won some confetti after game three, I can finally send it out. Uh, I felt really bad about sending out celebratory confetti before the Celtics had wrapped up the series. But now that they've done it, uh, envelopes go out tomorrow. If you won the confetti, congratulations. You'll be receiving that 
into however long the USPS takes to deliver it to you. <laughs> um, I'm going to have another hot take. Uh, you know the dance that all the youth are doing where they, like, swing their arms back and forth, and sometimes it's behind them and sometimes it's in front of them? I hate it. And the kids need to go back to dabbing. If you're on the Jumbotron, you dab. You don't do this silly arm swing dance, and I don't like it. You got old people doing it. It's not for me. And it's primarily because I have no idea how they do it, and it's uh, it's frustrating to me. Um, but, yeah, that's about it. Trying to power through here. Um <laughs> Marcus Smart is Geodude. That's a Pokemon reference. I don't expect you to get that. Nope. Um, but Geodude, for some reason, floats. But he's just a rock with giant combat muscles. No one ever explained to me why he floats. Um, moving on, they made Bane bleed his own blood. That's always fun. Uh, they actually tried a scary Terry chant tonight, which I thought was not that great. Uh, I don't know why, but it just uh, wasn't Tito Three Sticks. Uh there was a great moment where they're talking about Mook, where uh, there was a conversation between Sopan Deb and the Rifts man, uh, just about Mook's struggles in the playoffs. And I'm like, on the one hand, we have the Rifts man, who's just like a wild, wild character. And then we have Sopan Deb, who's like a very legitimate uh, newspaper reporter for the New York Times who covered Donald Trump. And just to see them both commiserating about how terrible Mook was tonight, I thought was a hilarious moment for Celtics Twitter. <laughs> um, and then at the end of the game, uh, the Celtics, as, as the everyone's wall, as the confetti hypothetically would be dropping from the uh, the rooftops, they play "Summertime" by Will Smith, Philly uh, Philly rapper, basically saying, "Go Philadelphia 76ers, enjoy your summer uh, in the city of brotherly love because you have no more to do here." That's I thought it was a great a great troll move, uh, and wow, fastest junk drawer I've ever done. But that's it. I would have loved for some fans to have come in and somehow smuggled in some confetti and just dropped that from, like, the, the balcony. I, like, if I hadn't promised it to all the fans of the Raining Jays who wrote reviews, I was highly considering throwing yeah, it off the balcony. It but it should have been the red, white, and blue confetti, not green and white or anything like that. If uh, I wish I'd – it would have been great if I'd thought about this before. I would have just gone out there before the game and just handed out to anybody sitting in the balcony red, white, and blue confetti. So if the Celtics won, you could just toss it over the side yourselves. That would have been fun. Uh, I want to give a junk drawer shout out to the Sports Center Twitter account that tweeted out a picture uh, that says two top three picks, two very different series, and it's Jason Tatum side by side with Markel Fultz. Ooh! Oh, this is like this is cold blooded. So it puts Tatum's numbers, 37.8 minutes, 23.6 points, 3.4 rebounds, 3.2 assists. By the way, statistically, that's an awesome line for the series. Markel Fultz, 0 0 0, zero. <laughs> that's, that's some shit that Weird Celtics Twitter would do. I'm surprised that the Celt- that, that SportsCenter Twitter account did it. That is just really, really hilarious. Weird Celtics Twitter has this has some compassion actually, and we, we, we kind of laid off Markel for the entire series, realizing this this you don't want to pile on. The man's had a bad year. Uh, let's focus on Ben Simmons being a tremendous coward. <laughs> That's much better. Um, all right, we have talked for a very very long time. We hope you have enjoyed this very very long podcast, and there will be another podcast tomorrow, maybe a little bit more forward thinking with the Cavaliers in the Celtics series that may not involve as much yelling. Uh, it will not involve me because I will not be on the podcast. I'm traveling and taking a couple of days off. I'm going down to New Orleans for a couple of days. So any of you New Orleans listeners, hit me up 
I'll go out, we'll have a beer or something, or a uh, an old-fashioned, which is a much more appropriate drink for New Orleans. But a little bit of a break before we start the game one. Sunday, Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals after beating the Sixers in Game 5, winning the series four games to one. Awesome, awesome, awesome series. Just an amazing effort from these guys. They, they People were picking them to get... Uh, beaten by the Bucks, and they they get past Milwaukee, and then they trounce the, well, I shouldn't say trounce, but they they handily win the series four games to one. There's no other way to say it, even though some of the, the most of the games were tight. They won all of those games. So on to Cleveland. Thank you for listening. If you are not a subscriber, please subscribe to the podcast. Wherever you find your podcast, search for Lockdown Celtics. If you are a subscriber, give us that five-star rating. Give us that good review because that just pushes up pushes us up further in the rankings and i can't talk anymore so i'm going to stop talking and just say thanks for listening to the locked on celtics podcast part of the locked on podcast network kaizen i decided i wanted that to be my new sign off <laughs> fantastic so we'll go with it cool Hi guys, this is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.